0: Are you gay? Geeky? Just
1: enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture?
2: Well, then you're in luck. The boys of
0: Flame On are here for you.
1: In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered.
0: So, if
2: you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame Flame on. On! The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. It contains content that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. All Nerdy Show podcasts are made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Discover the many ways you can join in at nerdyshow.com. All right, everyone. Welcome back to RPG from Scratch, episode forty-one. We got Max back with us today. Hey-o. He is no longer dead. He is back to life. We got a, a few things we're going to go through today. Um, we're going to we're going to jump into step six soon.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but right now, I kind of want to go back to the premise that our game should be built to make life easy for GMs. Yeah, the GM's got to love the system more than anyone. Like if, if the GM doesn't love the system. Nobody's going to have fun, and they're just not going to play it.
3: Yeah. Well, and, and also, I think we, we need to be conscious of making the the situation at, at least street like at least do the same amount of streamlining as we have done for for players. Yeah, because I feel like we've allowed for with the path system and, and momentum an incredible amount of variety and decision making potential but no one decision feels super huge. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very easy to just dip into a path system, create a fun, interesting character, but no one step feels giant. Right. We're not taking giant steps. And yeah, we should do that for for GMs as well. A lot of that, I think,
2: has been adhered to just for the fact that all the triggers and unique problems and, and things that people need to keep track of in combat are on the players the GM can list effects, and they're responsible for any triggers they create, but the more complex ones are really coming from the players. Yeah, And if they miss it, that's on them. Outsourcing complexity to the players is, is I think, one of the strengths, but we also need to make sure that the individual complexity that the players cannot be a part of needs to be simple. And flexible. I think a lot of this will just be through tools and guidelines and stuff like that and say change whatever you want, but... It's designed around this, you know, this specific concept. And, and I think just by the premise of making it so that chance to hit doesn't scale and dodge doesn't scale with level and mm-hmm. level is separate from difficulty, I think that'll just be less bookkeeping.
3: Yeah. And I think it's also very useful that the amount of steps down a path, the amount of total steps that you have, what your level is, what combat difficulty is, it sounds overwhelming that those are all each their own individual thing. But they're so interconnected, and they they represent such a different slot in your mind that it's actually easier. Yeah, I agree. Because when you say a level five encounter in other systems, I don't know what that means a lot of the time. Yeah. Even though it really you really should be able to know. And it was like, "Well, this one, it like here are the abilities that become available at level five for a level five difficulty thing." And a level five difficulty in some systems isn't even for level five players because it changes based on how many players you have and there's hit dice and things can be super random in it and the rng can feel very punishing to your players
2: rng being random number yes. generation yeah for, for for hate for hp i want to go back into the minds of gms now that we've all jammed in this system and think about the questions a gm might run into and these are not player questions where how do i deal with a problem player that kind of thing mm-hmm. i want to remind everybody listening that if it is not your sole responsibility as a GM to manage problem players. <laughs> it is on everyone at the table. The social contract of this, for some reason, everybody thinks the GM has to be in charge of all of it, and that's just not true. You guys need to talk to each other.
3: Yeah, GM isn't the king of the table. So
2: don't feel that pressure.
1: Don't be an asshole.
2: And also, anytime, if you as a GM say, hey, listen, I know that we're doing this, but I'm not having fun, and I kind of want to talk about yeah. it, can we, Can we do this? It, it, You having fun is also important.
3: And also, if you have other people at the table who are willing to support you or be the the thrust of a solution, that is an easier way of going about it than just laying down martial law. Yeah. And polling the group is useful, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, social problems aside,
2: just nuts and bolts. As a GM, one of my first things when I think about how I'm planning encounters and adventures is how and when should I distribute treasure? Okay. And when they get the let's say I just drop a like a powerful item Mm -hmm. is my plan that they'll all want it and roll off on it or do I pre-choose items that are specially tailored for each player and what about legendary and unique items that aren't necessarily part of the storyline what do we think about this
1: I think they should fit the scenario and not the party interesting
3: I'm a utilitarian every tool in the toolbox is useful Mm -hmm. I feel like treasure distribution can do a lot of things Mm -hmm. all right you're at the table. Someone has set up a pretty decent character, but they had a blind spot, and there's no truly easy way to fix it. They built it a little wrong, and their their chance to hit is just two or three points off from feeling good. You can throw them a bone, and I don't think anyone at the table is going to feel mm-hmm. bad about that. They might. If it's just straight chance to hit bonus, that's useful for anybody who tries to hit things. But at that point, if it's in a, a weapon or it's a stat boost... And and it's definitely a situation where hopefully you have a play group who is invested in the success of their other Mm -hmm. members. And Mm -hmm. I I do think this system specifically is set up that way.
2: Yeah. I kind of split the difference. I think that the treasure should be appropriate to the area or the scenario Mm -hmm. and tailor-made for the people receiving yeah. it. <laughs> well that's okay. what I'm saying. That's <laughs> that's that, my that I think sense. I think it needs yeah.
3: I need I think it needs to be both. I think you need to it's lame to play a purely randomly generated treasure system because it's really fun to have a bunch of melee fighters get magical implements again and again and again. Yeah. And, and that doesn't happen often. Mm-hmm. But even if it happens two or three times in a row or in a single stash man does that feel weird and awful and then you're like do we sell it are we gonna try and trade up like you just created another set of problems or a weird scenario for your players that doesn't feel like part of an adventure okay it feels like part of a a computer game at that point
1: like the dm adding to a player like you said the blind spot like one time i was playing like a gnome bard of course two foot six you know just saying and everyone's like why aren't you going into combat i'm like well i'm a gnome and I'm a bard. So then, like, we got some treasure, and the DM, like, oh, it just happens to be a dancing sword, which will make you be able to do this, this, and this. That was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it
2: is cool. I, I think there's there's something to be said about living in the economy of a game, of, of being like, you killed all these people, and they just literally, like, when the okay. encounter that we just aired on Leyliners, there's a male with a mace, you know, and there's somebody with a greatsword, and there's somebody with a pike. Like, you could pick those up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could Mm -hmm. pick them up and you could sell them and you could, you know, use the money to do whatever you want. But I think that is only loot in the original sense of the word. Okay. (laughs) like It's
3: it's very much just uh, pick up whatever, just grab shit. Let's go. I'm not that interested in that gameplay at a table. Mm-hmm. I'm really not I get that I've, I've enjoyed it I, I
2: have I, I've legit enjoyed it being like grab all the magical shit uh, let's see what, what do you think we could hawk it for alright let's go there let's oh. see what kind of bonus we could get if we, if we haggle with this guy and, well, and then unload off this stuff magical shit is different
3: Mm. The way that you just said it is, like, anything that falls on the ground is sure. ours. We're going to hoard it. We're going to, we're going to make a small armory yeah. deposit into
2: a trader. Well, let's say there's, you know, maybe, maybe there's a couple things. Yeah. You know, that you're not checking. You're busy. Time's a-wasting. And you generally wouldn't. But let's say you're running a pre-made adventure.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Your players fail to open the door. They fail to spot a secret wall. They fail to—they they just straight-up find an alternate solution to beating the boss— That in no way implies that they will get his sacred sword off of him. You might feel that they're in a pickle that they don't know that they're in. Because if you're playing in a lot of systems, even ours to an extent, it scales with the quality of your gear. Like the difficulty you're coming up against will will, will, will increase. So how do you get the correct treasure into there? And, and, And this is, by the way, this is a difficult question because you need to be very carefully aware of what they already have. If, yes, if you're trying to if you're trying to up their power level specifically, and, and,
3: and not even what they have, what they can do.
2: So, do you have them write letters to Santa? Do you find a wish list for them? Mm,
3: no, I, I think that's it. Ruins the moment of
2: Yay, we found it, the treasure!
3: It, it, it one it ruins the moment of Yay, and it also provides a line for potential disappointment of something that is useful but not exactly. Like, it's it's you know. Showing up on Christmas Day, and you got guitar strings, but not the exact brand that you like. Right. Sc- scenario.
2: The, the old... uh Here,
3: we, we got you some heroin. Grandma, We
2: I got you cocaine.
3: It's what the guy at the store said you He said, said want. this <laughs> is the one you'd want. We'll take it back and get you some heroin, dear. We got yes. you a book on heroin. Hmm. Yeah. With some heroin.
1: Are we... I can't remember, honestly. Are we still doing the ideas of the things that clip into weapons the artifacts that clip into weapons i think we can yeah yeah because then that could augments be a stuff like oh there's some fire augments in here and then you could do yeah, that what definitely you makes with it,
2: it
3: way more generalized and yeah mm-hmm.
2: yeah or the route that i typically go with is just make an established wondrous items merchant There you go. they show up and you just give them money you know or they just pick up shit that looks like it's worth things they sell it they go to that store it's not having a wish list there's literally an inventory they can pick from. Yeah, that's a good option. I think that's fine. It but but you should th- you do miss out on that fun moment of them finding the cool ass shit.
3: But you don't have to choose between there's enough mm-hmm. there's enough encounters there should be enough of those moments that even if you only hit one in 4 it's still going to feel really good. You're not going to feel yeah. bad, and if as long as you're you're progressing, you're picking up stuff. If your wondrous merchant happens to have a funny shop name and ha- gets to have a good character moment, yeah, it doesn't feel like how a lot of video games do it. It's true. Well, it, it feels it feels more in the universe. It feels more character driven. It feels more natural. Yeah. If you
2: now, let's say we're trekking through the mountains for for two months. Yes. Right. And you, you go on crazy adventures in the mountains. Like, does the merchant from resident evil 4 show up i'd be like oh i travel you know like and and then you deal with them you want them to find cool shit yeah. in like a buried ruin and there's yeah. treasure but the treasure in that sense to be really cool doesn't actually have to be useful
1: no to them it what just be if be are vouchers for the treasure shop like money no like a like a voucher <laughs> like a gift card it's, how's but that if, different from money because you open the treasure chest and you're like oh snap it's a gift card that can only be used at Joe's Treasure Shack, which doesn't accept cash. Only vouchers, money yeah. no good here. Only uh, vouchers. Because you gotta be an adventurer. It's a tax scam. He seeded them throughout the world. He slash she have seeded these vouchers throughout all of Tamriel, Erd. all of Erd, and only adventurers can find them and spend them at this shop.
3: Even in campaigns where I've had implements or story items that were interesting that i could have sold sometimes the party just keeps them as trophies yeah like that is sometimes that's part of it of like we got this guy's talisman it does this thing not particularly useful to anyone in the party why do you keep it because we killed that guy this is his his badass magical talisman Mm -hmm. do you have a badass magical talisman that you keep in your backpack to prove that you killed a dark wizard there is a virtue i think in rolling on a random table
2: Let's say you do the work of of giving Mm -hmm. them individual items and and letting them know what's on the people that they're fighting. And then they just discover a chest of stuff. Yeah. And you you rolling random things to be in that chest. Is a fun moment. And then they open it. They're like, what's in here? It's like, you will believe what's in here. Okay. Like, that's fun, too. It is fun. Again, I don't think you have to choose between the two. I mm -hmm. think you get to do both. The great equalizer is money. Them being able to just take money to a place and purchase what they want. However. I hate that.
3: Well, I don't hate it. But I, that is that is my least fulfilling
2: no, version. No, it, it is the least fulfilling. However, if somebody routinely is not getting something useful or they're just not interested in the thing that you picked. Yeah. Giving them that out is very important. Yeah. They can just go get what they want. And you don't have to worry about it. But that's a or choice get it they're made. making. Or get it made. Yeah. That's a fun one, too. So legendary and unique items that aren't part of the storyline, sometimes they throw off the balance of the group. And that mm-hmm. brings me to our next GM question. How do I balance around a character whose power level is far above the others just due to how they're built? If I increase the difficulty of all the encounters, everybody else dies. Mm -hmm. If I lower the difficulty, they continue to outshine the others. I'll run it to you guys. What do you think?
3: In other systems, especially in more in my experience in 3.5 D&D than anything else, that's really easy to do, especially with one or two specific magical arcane classes and barbarians or, like, certain range characters just
2: they outshine everyone
3: they scale so much differently mm-hmm. and are xp debuffs for some multi-class char- like hybrid character classes yeah that are objectively worse that double down on being unplayable
1: i just don't see how it's a problem <laughs> <laughs>
3: well how do you mean
1: because you're a party you apparently like,
3: did not play 3-5, man.
1: Yeah. I, yeah it, I literally
2: literally, nobody gets to do anything. Like the person runs in, does two things, and nobody else gets to take Oh, I was going to say, turns. it's like,
1: man, our quarterback's too good. You know? Never yeah. get to run the ball. It's no. Like, uh... it's, it's that other
2: people don't get to play the game.
1: Yeah, okay, that makes more sense. But,
3: and, but it's, also, it's also another situation of, okay, cool, this good armor exists, and then the person who does the most damage, who, based on the way their character is built, will do more damage. And the bonus damage that they will do is more than giving it to another character. Well, I should take that so that I could maximize our main damage engine. That stuff happens pretty routinely. It happens with wizards and barbarians yep. a lot. And even stuff that works really well for rogues, if you put it the hands in almost any other melee combatant, it's going to generally be better. There's a couple of exceptions of things specifically built for that class. I already think we've solved, or at least negated a lot of that Yeah. But in, in how our, our paths are set up and the fact that you can multi-path the way that we do. The margins that's, are smaller. That's why we did that in the first place. But I also think it's also a different situation in our system because no matter how good our champion is, no matter how much damage they do... If they go out on their own and slog into things, they will be dead in two turns without support. It's just not going to happen. The gang up, flanking advantage situation that we built is too punishing. And the support classes who don't even do a lot of damage, when you're playing on the other side of them, they feel like they matter too much. Even if your other party members don't fully understand, Mm -hmm. the fact that you have someone as Citadel who's a guff, who's giving phalanx, who's slogging into things and just doesn't care about damage and is just taking everything, they don't have to put up big numbers when they roll the die for you to feel like they matter. Well,
2: I think where this problem is actually more egregious is outside of combat. Yes. If you have somebody who's a skill monkey, nobody gets to talk to NPCs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because you're like, why would we say anything to this person? This person's got an 18 in diplomacy, intimidate, you know all these di- ah. all these different things, so which is where rogues
3: shine. That's where they shine. Yeah, and and bards. So how do you deal with this? I think again, we I think we already inbuilt solutions. Okay, yes, we did in our system.
2: Yeah, I'm saying as a GM, just general
3: GMing. Yeah, if you let, let's let's say
2: if if you if you run into this problem uh-huh. in any system, I think a good way to deal with the out of combat interactions is limiting people by what they choose to say and limiting it to taking turns Mm -hmm. speaking or or doing whatever the thing is if like this is an encounter where you're all being addressed and if you all want to say something here you go and you're all going to have to say something you can do that yeah and you you say you're all going to have to say something but you can choose to not
3: or or even what you're saying could simply be as my companion has already stated yeah. I'm going to restate it slightly. So you it's, do allow it out for someone who like, uh, this part of the game makes me uncomfortable. Please don't make me do this.
2: Yeah. It feels clunky, but the other version where <laughs> one person just walks forward and talks for the whole group always in every encounter is way more clunky.
3: And mm-hmm. it doesn't even have to be skill based for that to completely no. be true.
2: Yeah. Stop stop rolling, stop asking for roles. And and also when, when somebody walks in and says, Can I make a role to do X? Say no. No, you can't make a roll. Tell me what you're going to do, and if I want a roll from you, I'll ask for one. Yeah. That's another way.
3: Rather than even a mechanical problem, that can be a at-the-table personality problem of there's a gregarious player. Sure. And even if they don't have the stats for it, because of who they are, and if they have the A-type personality at the table, they're going to be the one fielding the questions, even if mechanically they shouldn't be. Sure. And And it it will frustrate everyone else at your table. I think the be you harsh say, with the punishments and then that will stop. Yeah, we say well then you ask
1: for a role. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was kind of sad of the city.
3: No, we loved every minute of that. I don't know what you're talking about. You're not that character by the way. So now let's look at combat. So combat,
2: everything's much more regimented in a mm-hmm. way that that player understands probably better than the other players do
3: and it's how they wound up in this position. Yes. Well, depending. Again, I don't, I as soon as you you do 5 or 6 sessions, mm. If you have a, a even halfway decent playgroup, you can start asking me what other people's defense roles are, because I'll know, or what their base attack bonus is. Like, that does become secondhand, and it you you can usually have a feel for what other people at the table are capable of doing.
2: Yeah, no, that's not what I mean. Sorry. That, I, mean, I mean that this character is built so oppressively that it's going to win oh, every okay. encounter. Yeah. Uh, and the other players don't get to really do much. I think if nerfing that character or upping the encounters isn't a solution, which I don't think they are. I think those are those are bad. Those answers.
3: are exter- mm-hmm. external solutions to an internal problem.
2: I think when you build encounters that are important, that you want other people to shine in, you make a problem that that player can solve and it's really their problem to deal with while everybody else deals with something else. Yeah. You say, oh, there's a big guy and he's on the other side of the room and he's he's going to come from behind. And he's every way this person's equal. And he challenges them and and he goes off. And it's like, okay, that guy can duke it out with that guy while the rest of the party gets to play with other problems. I think that's – if you if you can find ways to make that player feel engaged and fulfilled without making it so that the rest of the group doesn't get to act, Yeah, I, th- I think that's the way to go because –
3: Han Solo can
2: still be cool even though Luke Skywalker exists. Yeah, I think that as long as that player's motivation isn't I want to be more important than everyone else, it's just I want to play the best character I possibly can make and play yeah. it, I want to play it well, then you don't have a problem. You can, no. just, you can just create that, you can, you can do that and they'll feel great about it. But if it is a competition between them and the other players in their mind and they get upset that they don't, have, they don't get a chance to do absolutely everything, I think you just got to talk to that player.
1: Yeah. Yeah. GM has a lot of power. You don't have to put up with players. Well,
3: yeah, the, well I mean the you, whole play you, group right? You do have to put up with players, but they have exponentially more power mm-hmm. when everyone else at the table is also on board.
1: Well that but I'm just saying everyone wants to play. Nobody wants to learn the system. So if you learn the system, yeah. You get the power. That's true. But I'm not saying to abuse it, I'm just saying you don't have to put up with whiny rules lawyer assholes. No.
2: So I feel like that's that's a reasonable solution. I mean also just you can if, – if if that power level is so far beyond where people are and these guys are very new to the system and that player is cool. Let's say that your min-maxer is, is a cool person and you know that they're generally down just for a good time but they wanted to do something cool. You can You can talk to that person and be like, hey, you are this far above where mm-hmm. they are. Could you maybe try something more on their power level? And it'll be easier for me to design encounters that challenge you as well as the rest of them.
3: And you can make it a fun story moment. Yeah. They could get cursed. That could be a fun, a fun get. Or their next level, they could take a level in a different class or, yeah. or a step down a different path. They, there's just small things you can do to, to do that. But you can talk to them about it and you if can, they're cool. If they're not that yeah. cool. And also, you could even just have a conversation of, hey, I'm going to start sliding some gear to your compatriots. Want to tell you before this is going to happen, this is going to boost them a little bit, mm-hmm. and you're going to miss out maybe on the next two treasure troves. There's not not going to be anything tailor made for you, and as long as they know that that's coming, or I mean, and also yeah. if they're already beating ass, I doubt they'll give a shit.
2: Let's hope. So, uh, last GM question I kind of want to deal with is: there's a common one I see that it's not really a problem in our system because of how it's built it's not really even a question because it's irrelevant is my players are healing to full between each battle and resting and Mm -hmm. getting all their spells back and it makes my campaign lose the sense of urgency and they have every trick in the books to make sure that they get that bonus arrest or or the adventure path there's no reason why they can't just walk out of this ruins Mm -hmm. and do it you know and there's no amount of random encounters that'll put a dent in what they're able to recover
3: what do I do? Uh cavens are fun. Just trapping them is mm-hmm. always good. Making making me, the, the entrance, not be able to be the exit is my first go-to move. Mm-hmm. Or just having them wind up in a system of risk-reward, where it becomes very obvious to your players that going out not 100% prepared is going to pay greater dividends, or the concept that if they go and rest, the stuff in front of them is going to be more prepared for their existence provide a, a situation mechanically not necessarily in a numbers way that can be explained to them but in in a story way where like if you go they're going to have more recruits ready they're going to have a day more of training they're sure. going to be building blockades ramparts traps that's, like,
2: that's my first instinct is yeah put a time limit yeah. like just just make sure the clock is ticking um but i mean that's not always an answer that you have based on what you've set up right like there might be something else it's just a tomb it's not going anywhere you know, there's there's no cave-in, and it, it wouldn't make sense. For, there's situations you get into, especially in adventure paths, where that's not really yeah. an option, right? A part of this problem actually isn't a problem. One of the reasons I think that is because the point of view that you have when you think this is these players, they're not going to feel the urgency and the engagement that I want them to feel and the desperation. But it's actually not true. What's happening is they're taking it so seriously. That they're overprepared. Well, that they they don't want to leave anything to chance. They're, Mm -hmm. They're really like taking every part of it seriously. So you can take that out of it. However, I do understand that that you as a GM want to keep the pace going and it does slow down and they, you know, you don't really want to say, okay, well let's do another rest. Now let's roll for this. Who's standing watch. You do that. Like Mm -hmm. after every encounter, you might get bored, putting a time limit on. It's good.
3: Also just, or or even if it's a, it's a pacing concern rather than a difficulty concern. You could even do something as simple as, Oh, you have a standard rest procedure. And if I don't want anything weird to happen, you could just say that. And we were like, let's next scene then Mm -hmm. next day. That's not The point of this isn't Mm -hmm. to make it harder. The point is to keep it moving. Make it bandit country.
0: You want to make camp? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
2: reason there are ways to do this in game without telling them without saying well there's a time limit like just going after this you you hear a thing slide shut and you notice that there were eyes looking at you from the wall and then you hear running feet like yeah and then you're good you're good yeah they're like well we can't let that person get away this is (laughs) scooby-doo moment we (laughs) have to go we can't let them get away and warn somebody and then they're going to send people out to be ready for us and like if you just add a hook into the next thing it's it's fine also maybe just let them maybe it's fine yeah maybe maybe it's not a problem and you're making it a problem because you know that your party is powerful enough to kill everything in the dungeon if they arrive just fresh as a spring chicken to every fight maybe that's actually okay
3: maybe that is the the character of the party that Mm -hmm. has existed in trying to force them out of like because there's also there's also parties who if they don't rest are more mechanically able than parties that do Oh, 100%. There are, yeah, if you have a lot of spellcasters in your party, you're going to want to take rests more. You're going to take that more seriously. If you're a lot of just like grin and barret warriors, barbarians, rogues, people that. Barbarians don't, with fast healing? Yeah, maybe the, the need for a faster paced thing is, is on you and not on your party. I think so.
2: Also, you can just, without telling them anything, increase the difficulty yep if you just increase the damage output and increase the difficulty they'll feel it if you retool the encounter to be made for a party that has all their tools available if you make it that difficult problem solved they're engaged it's frenetic and now after each one they're like we need to rest now and you're like i bet you do get your rest because the next one's going to be a doozy yeah i think that's a that's also a, a very satisfying way of solving this issue The reason why I said this is not—it's something we kind of avoided in our system. We're saying you can heal to full after every combat because our damage gets kind of
3: spiky. Yeah, inbuilt in the way that we we used to play other systems and the way that we like to play this one. I don't feel like we play in character and in story situations. We still play the same dumb rabble that we've always played. Sure, but I always feel like combat mechanic-wise, even when we we set up parties or teams, it definitely feels more like instead of a band of misfit toys. It's very much a SWAT strike team. Of, sure. We're prepared. We, uh, if we had any information of the combat that we're going into, we're going to make sure we have the tools available that we know that we need. Everyone has a pretty good opening move that they're aware of what they're going to do. There's always almost a lot of support for like, okay, even the way that we set up the, the movement, that the tank goes first and, and, sure. and, and the positioning. All of those things are more set up to a strategic tactical mentality in dealing with combat and i think part of that also extends to preparedness in the series in which all combats even if they are frivolous are taken i think
2: there's also a solution that we have that doesn't seem like a solution and you can steal it 100 percent to use in other systems is that we call combats scenes yeah and you can say well, we want to rest and the gm just says scenes not over yeah <laughs> like yep sorry so you can you can start walking towards the entrance if you want, but know that we are still moving in uh, initiative order. You're going to have to take your turn to do each thing because uh, stuff is still happening right now. You don't get your abilities back until the scene ends.
1: Also, can we be a SWAT team of Misfit Toys?
2: Uh, that I, sounds awesome, actually. That is, yeah. and, it's and, the, mo- it's if, the movie Small Soldiers, and it is amazing. If we're
3: talking about liners, I think that is actually the most accurate version of what we are.
2: And the last question I want to ask, this is a storytelling question.
3: How do I make my players care about my bad guy?
1: Ooh, that's that's a, hard.
3: That's a, I think this question is harder to answer now than it was 10 years ago. Why is that? Because of this, I, I think there's a, there's a larger conversation about what bad guys are and how they function in narrative in the media that we consume that feels differently than, like, 80s bad guys. Like, 80s bad guys are very straightforward, but it's very It's very easy to hate them, and it's very easy to celebrate their deaths. And we've gotten into a conversation where we like to have complex villains, but we have complex villains that are either usually complete, not negative, but inverse shadows of your heroes, mm-hmm. is, is a very common trope, or we want the sensitive, relatable villain. Mm-hmm. And I almost think in a tabletop scenario, those things don't narratively work as well Mm -hmm. because it's not it's not fully constructed you're not spending a lot of time with them
1: no and you shouldn't have to and they're evil they shouldn't have to be likable they don't
2: have to be evil either but i'm saying they they are
1: everyone tries to make them Mm likable did you ever see the snl skit with the child molesting robot god i love that dude it is like the rock it's
3: it's like the rock kills it in it (laughs) I think the answer to this problem, the one that I enjoy the best, is making a hole of where the villain should be. Make mention of them. Don't give a lot of specifics.
1: Who Jaws it.
3: Make it, yeah, make it vague. Make it menacing. Understand that it's a big deal, but don't make it so concrete. Allow them to fill in the gaps of hate for you. And also just, just weird little kick the dog moments. It's, it, they don't have to do something big and terrible. For you to hate them, but even if they just beat up a character or an NPC that that your party did enjoy previously, mm-hmm. or did so, even just something minor, steal their daughter. Something minor. Minor in the scale of uh, the scope whole of the world. Adventure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Stealing someone's daughter, while well, a horrific act, isn't burning a whole city down. Like you don't have to do that to make a compelling villain. Right. Pick small character moments. That's going to go a long way, and don't overly fill them in. Don't make them so specific that you feel like you have to interact with them or deal with them. Like, you did a really good job with the leader of The Way Forward. Oh, you guys hated him immediately. Oh, no. In, in, <laughs> was we, not prepared we met for how much He was kind of a dick. All of his followers that we met, we liked... But they all kind of spoke of him a little menacingly, a mm-hmm. little a little fear- fearfully, and then we realized he was behind a lot of the things that we were dealing with. He wasn't actively pursuing us. We were just dealing with the aftermath of a lot of his actions. Mm-hmm. And so by the time we got to kill him, almost all of us enjoyed the hell out of it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. only one person didn't. Galene? Yeah, Savannah wanted to fuck him. I don't know. Well, no, she
2: lo- she she wanted to love him so much right, that man. she wanted to stab him. Yeah. And that's what, yeah, she got to do that.
1: Like Selena's that's manager.
3: penetration,
2: baby. That's a metaphor. I think my answers are a little simple. Have him just do something to wrong the party. It can just be small, like you're saying, like, something minor. But, I mean, even just, like, you go to sleep, shows up with a caravan of people, they beat you up, they rob you, they leave. You don't need to, like, that party, it doesn't matter where that guy shows up anywhere else in the story— Oh, you hate him. He's a dead man.
3: Like yeah. <laughs> they're after him. Uh, another another way is to. I would make an argument that doing that to a hapless NPC is more effective than even to you. Oh, I I don't know. It, I, it, I it could be. It could I be. feel I feel like if you mugged me and stole my shit, I'd be like ah, well, you know maybe you know this is a moment where I get to have some forgiveness. But if you like. Beat up my favorite bartender who has a stutter, but is super nice to me. I'd be like, he didn't even ask for this, and he doesn't even have the ability mm-hmm. to turn you into a pillar of salt, and I do. But that
2: is if your party cares about anyone. That's true. Which they may not have a ch- have like. It's not that your party doesn't care about people, but that they haven't had the had chance, chance to. to. This is we're talking early, right? Okay. So another way I think is it can happen off screen. You can just weave them into their backstory with their help. Yeah. You can, so for instance, I did an adventure path, Curse of the Crimson Throne, which is a Pathfinder adventure path. And there are traits you can take at the beginning of the path that says, if you take this trait, one literally is stolen child. The bad guy, who's in this case named Gadron Lamb. Has stolen your child. Has stolen your child. And now you don't know where they are. Then you think he might be involved. That's it. And if you take this, you will get a plus one to certain roles in the city there's another one where oh you worked for him as a child and you get a plus one for certain things so if you find a way to do that they already care about the villain they've already yeah, woven them great. into the backstory yeah. and there, there's a mechanical bonus for them on the back end yeah that
3: does mm-hmm. it marries the two sometimes separate parts of tabletop which mm-hmm. is is the mechanics in the narrative
1: and it drives the story yeah, yeah. stolen a child you could be like okay great now there goes that responsibility
2: the bad guy i'm using in layliners. Your your characters have no reason to think he's still even still around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've been using like flashbacks, cutscenes, that kind of thing, just to show you what that person's up to. Because I want to be able to have my big villain narrative moments, but not rely on you guys to just. To interact with it. Yeah. W- without your character standing there and me making decisions for your characters that you're
3: just not attacking them on sight. Because mm-hmm. so, if we do figure that out, that is the first thing that we're doing. Yeah
1: first thing we always do. Oh, No, the whole thing is
3: <laughs> no, we don't even he doesn't even have to be in the periphery but if we even in the narrative put two and two together and find out that he does exist we'd be like oh there's a floating city uh, there's a ticking clock on that um no i think the number one thing is kill that guy right yeah like remember remember that guy remember we we're just going to do that again right now
2: yeah i think that there is something to be said though about not too much yeah you're you you're, can overdevelop a well, villain well your villain shouldn't be the only problem that's it. I mean, give them extra problems. There's there's extra things going on. There's political things. There's just other there's monsters. There's
3: there's tons of things yeah. that
2: don't have to be related to your main villain, but there should be an arc that your villain is at the end of.
3: Yeah. Well, and I also I also don't think that you should be the only problem your villain has. Right. I don't like it when a villain exists purely to stand in your way. Yeah. I don't enjoy that.
2: If your big villain doesn't even know that the party exists, that can be its own problem. It well it's also a way that your party, your players feel disassociated from the villain. Yeah. Where caring about the villain is less of a priority because it's not immediate to your characters. Even though if it's immediate to your characters, if it's not immediate to the villain, your opportunities for that villain to... That's the Thanos problem. That's a whole different problem. Yeah, but your your opportunity for, for the villain to show up and fuck with them on any given moment is diminished.
3: Yeah. No, I, I just think you need to sit in between those two extremes. Mm-hmm. Don't have it be a cosmic being who they're... Their existence has been completely and utterly beneath them, but also don't have the villain obsessed with your party either, where that's the only thing that matters. Then right. it starts to to take over their complete narrative, because then you're like, didn't they have a plan before? Wasn't he doing something before? Weren't we supposed to stop something? I don't remember. You want Dr. Doom. You, oh, you always want Dr. Doom. But You, well, you, want you Do- always want Dr. Doom. You want
2: Dr. Doom as your big bad guy, not Galactus. Because yeah. even when Galactus notices the party, it, you can just kind of convince him not to do the thing.
3: Yeah. Because it's just so he's... Was like, oh, I have another option? Fine then. Whatever. Although that can be fun depending on the narrative. But yeah, do- usually that's not what you want. Dr. Doom's thing is
2: that whether or not he's aware of the party, he's doing what he's going to do. And the party knows it's going to screw things up for everyone.
1: So and when he becomes
3: aware of the party, he swears vengeance. Yeah, and it becomes say, a vendetta.
1: Don't be afraid to have middle management evil. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yes. You know, just some dude doing his job. That's do terrible. it better
3: than Darth Maul, though. Please.
2: Yeah. I personally am bored of the mustache twirling archetype of the person doing the same job as your party but getting there sooner. So the the guy from yes. uh, <laughs> the guy from um, Uncharted. Well, Uncharted, but I was I was specifically thinking Indiana
3: Jones. Yeah, uh, what's his name? Same difference. What's his
2: name? The it's it's like starts with the B,
1: uh, Frenchy French guy. Belloc.
3: Yeah, that's a very. I'm bored of it, but I'm I'm also angry. Always angry when in, encountering that because there's a a separate party or a separate group that's doing the same thing as you, and they beat you to the temple, and they're all the way there, and then halfway through you're like. Why are there so many things and traps still in this temple active? What are we doing here?
2: Yeah. And it could be getting to the end of the temple where the prize is and the prize is gone. That sucks. I mean, it seems like a good narrative moment. It's a good one in a movie because you aren't the main character. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The difference is you hear about jobs and you're like, oh, I heard about this thing. And then you just find out it's already been taken care of. Maybe when you get to the temple and it's like... Oh, traps, it's been it's been looted. All the traps have been sprung. Yeah, like, and you just
3: sh- stroll through, it and you're like, "Fuck!" They're just yeah. dead. Like, yeah, yeah. That's
2: everything. that is good plot. You d- being forced through the whole adventure just to find out that they did it way better, and and th- that then you, you didn't ever even hurt. engage with any of those. Because then you could you use do, it.
1: Like, like, let's say that happens to you twice. You're just then, spinning your wheels. Yeah, but then you get to the next one, and you you're going through, and then you start seeing them dead, and you're like, "Well, they've gotten through everything so far." Yeah.
3: That's a different scenario. That's a twist.
2: Yeah. If you show up to two temples and they've already been looted and you know who did it, that's like, ooh, this, ooh, mm, yeah. I'm going to get just em. like don't <laughs> Just don't make your party slog through those
3: temples. No.
2: <laughs> no. Don't make them do it for no reward. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to have that moment, you can have that moment without without making them do all without that. Without a slog. Those are good ways to make your party care about your bad guy. I'm sure there's a hundred more ways.
3: Oh, infinite. One almost. of them.
2: One of them is if it's somebody they care about and they want to save them yeah that's another one like your bad guy is just on the wrong path you know and and you you're just trying to get to them before they screw up that's a good way too but i think that's what we're going to call it tonight thank you max and liam no problem and next episode we're going to get back to the homework and make some stuff thank you everyone for listening if the game we're making sounds interesting to you, check us out at patreon.com RPGFS. $1 patrons get access to the cutting room floor, where all of the off-topic comedy that was cut out of episodes is curated for your enjoyment. $2 patrons get the updated character sheets that they can use to make their own characters in our system. $5 patrons get access to every rulebook we release as we update them. $10 patrons get to create custom NPCs for use in our actual play podcast, Layliners. Also, if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Podchaser and Apple Podcasts. Every review helps. If you want to reach out to us with your gameplay ideas, please comment on our Patreon or tag us on Twitter. We are at Homebrew Hombres. Thank you all again, and until next time, stay safe, stand watch, and get a full rest.